Support for Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center, located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome to Health Matters. I am your host and beloved radio health evangelist, Dr. John Taylor. This is the RIP OLB show. That is, rest in peace, Our Lady of Belfont. It is our salute to a hospital just north of Ashland in Russell, Kentucky, that has been in existence for, I think, over 60 years and is unfortunately closing. The uh, final date of closure is said to be in September. We will talk more about that, speculate on what happens when uh, a hospital closes in our show. Special thanks to our listeners at True Talk Internet Radio and a radio wave to those hardworking folks at the MSU Ronald G. Eaglin Space Science Center. Rick Phillips, I will just tell you, is while we are recording this studio, happily cheering on the University of Kentucky Wildcat basketball team. He offered me a seat. I said no. Well, <laughs> regretting that, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, radio comes first. So we still have the formidable presence here in the studio from the University of Kentucky assistant professor with the UK Physician Assistant Program, Shelly Irving. Hi, Shelly. Hello. Our show, of course, you can find us on WMKY.org and replay the show over and over again, figure out exactly what I just said, or look at some of the old shows uh, if uh, you can find one that's a little better than this one. Our The way to two-way interact with us, and I think this is especially important on this show, is the HM Radio Show uh, Facebook page. We fall back a little bit from that page, as many people are doing from Facebook, but I, I think especially with this show, if you have a comment on Our Lady of Belfont. You you want to give us some feedback on the show to uh, uh, cite your experience, additional information, any of those things, just hit the Facebook page. And I promise you, uh, if you give us a comment on our Facebook page, we will follow that up, read that on the air. We will try to address uh, comments, uh, questions, and concerns. So be glad to do that. Now, the other thing I want to say before we really get to very far into this show, I am not an investigative reporter, not a uh, uh, trained journalist. I, I've, I'm simply a physician. I just read a lot. Shelly, I think also, I've been impressed with her uh, clinical intellect, but we are not people, we're not going to tell you the background, behind the scenes stories. We're not going to reveal any top secret documents or emails or anything like that. And we're probably going to get some of this wrong, but uh, by listening to us, uh, you at least, I think, will get some idea of what's happened uh, over in Russell. Some thoughts on the ripple effects of this. Uh, so we will try to do our best to, to do justice to the material that we are presenting. I will tell you, first of all, it is uh, here in Moorhead, as around the region, it was a shock. It was very sobering. Uh, this was a hospital, not a small hospital, uh, a hospital that was very collaborative. We were engaged in a lot of educational ventures with them, so we formed a, uh, a consortium to uh, try to lower costs for uh, purchases and things like that. And uh, they were a good partner uh, to St. Clair Healthcare and to other hospitals in the region. This is a huge loss uh, that uh, reverberates far beyond Ashland, Russell, uh, and the, the far eastern corner of Kentucky. It's a little personal, too, because that's the hospital that services my family of origin. And within the past year, I've been there a couple times with a family member. And so knowing that, you know, had those situations happened a year in the future instead of a year in the past, it, it could have turned out very differently. And so that that's very um, disheartening. 
It is. Our sponsor, uh, second time around, we want to try again to do justice to this. Uh, the It's basically the top five signs your heart is attacking you. That is, these are the heart attack signs. And you think to yourself, well, I'm having a heart attack. Who exactly is the heart attacking? And I guess it's you. I mean, it's not attacking the guy next to you. So, yeah. how do you know your heart's attacking you? Now, uh, this was a survey published uh, online December 18th in the AMA Journal, American Medical Association Journal, their open uh, uh, online journal. And they surveyed more than 25,000 Americans from a variety of socio-demographic subgroups. That is, highly educated, not as highly educated, uh, wealthy, not as wealthy, uh, and so forth, uh, about recognition of five common symptoms of a heart attack. Um, and... They, uh, they asked the question, they said, which of the following would you say are symptoms that someone may be having a heart attack? And the, the trick was all five were. Right. So you, you, if you're very good at taking tests, you may figure that out. So the five suggested symptoms, and Shelly, I've asked her to do sort of an interpretive dance uh, to show you uh, what those five symptoms are. And the first one, uh, which was recognized by nearly 92% of people, this is the one that everybody knows, is chest pain. Yeah, chest pain. And so that, that is the number one symptom. It's the most common symptom. It's typically the one that brings uh, people into the emergency department. Um, and so um, the majority of people did uh, recognize that as one of the symptoms. Kind of a pressure sensation, a weight sensation. But I tell people, look, anything that you haven't felt before in your chest. Yeah, you know. right. Anything unusual, anything different. Um, you know, it could be a pressure. It could be um, uh, more of like a, a almost like a suffocating shortness of air. Somebody sitting on your chest is how some uh, patients will explain that a little bit um, that they associate with a, a painful or uncomfortable sensation. Symptom number two, and this is uh, in order. This is the second most common symptom behind the chest pain is shortness of breath. Eighty seven percent recognize that one. Yeah, and this may or may not be associated with uh, with a pain, with a painful sensation. It's certainly uh, somewhat uncomfortable, uh, but that difficulty breathing, can't catch my breath, um, feel a heaviness again, sort of a pressure uh, is also what they'll complain of. Yeah, and I had some diabetic patients. They would just get sweaty and short of breath. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so th there are certain conditions where it is more difficult to recognize the symptoms. Third one, uh, discomfort in the arm or in the shoulder, that was uh, 85%. Yeah, and again, this is, you know, when pain happens in this region of the body in the chest area, the brain isn't super great at knowing exactly where that pain is. And so you may experience a, a pain or discomfort up into the jaw, uh, down into the uh, the arm uh, or into the shoulder area. Even I've heard patients complain about pain or discomfort between their shoulder blades even um, yeah. related to this. Back pain. Yeah. Jaw, neck, or back pain. Uh, that was 62%. Back to the top, uh, uh, one more above that feeling, weak, lightheaded, or faint. That was a tough one for me. 77% recognized it. Um, I don't know exactly how to explain that to the patients, you know, that you should look for this uh, because uh, um, I, I a lot of my older patients get dizzy. To be yes. honest, it's tough. So many things can cause that, right? You know, blood pressure might not be quite right. Blood sugar might be too high or too low. Uh, so lots of things can, can make someone feel weak or lightheaded or dizzy off. One of the things we look for is, are these symptoms associated with exertion? So if this happens when you walk and it gets better when you slow down, uh, whatever it is, that will arouse our suspicions as well. Those are the five signs that your heart is attacking you, uh, and we will continue to teach uh, our Health Matters radio fans 
the five symptoms so that if you are part of the survey, at least you will do Eastern Kentucky proud. Got a little bit of time left in this first fractional portion. We are trying to update you on the headlines. Uh, the uh, uh, There is a virus, and you may have heard of it. This virus is, turns out to be very deadly, causing a lot of hospitalizations, and so we wanted to talk with you about I guess, this virus. Can I guess? Can I guess? Is it the flu? <laughs> influenza. <laughs> it is influenza. Now, let's let's start with the Wuhan coronavirus. They're, they're calling it a novel coronavirus, and coronaviruses are respiratory-type viruses. At the time we go to press, uh, we have statistics from, uh, uh, this is uh, good through the almost the end of January, 132 people died from the coronavirus, believed to have originated in the central city of Wuhan, and I'm sorry to our Chinese friends, I know I, I have no ability to pronounce that. Confirmed cases up to nearly 6,000, 132 deaths. Now, in contrast, the influenza virus, which is also a known respiratory virus and a known killer, the estimates right now are 15 million cases, 140,000 hospitalizations, 8,200 deaths. Again, 132 deaths, 8,200 deaths. The coronavirus, which everyone is now worried about and thinking about getting masks, versus the flu. And we know what to do for the flu, but we don't do it. And I, I uh, heard uh, the reports out of Lexington, uh, more than 80 percent of the cases they have uh, were people who simply did not get an influenza vaccine, even though those vaccines have now been around for almost, uh, I, I guess they have been around for 50 years. Yeah. And They've been around about be as safe. long as Our Lady Belfont Hospital. Yeah. They're proven to be safe. They're proven to work. Yeah. But don't get them. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, the other thing, just a reminder, hand sanitizer, not the best against the flu. That uh, that was confirmed uh, this winter by some researchers, it does not do as well against the flu as simple wa- soap and water washing. That is your best bet. The sanitizer is a good alternative if you can't get to a sink, but don't assume that it is a 100% full substitute. It's not. 15 million illnesses, 140,000 hospitalizations, 8,200 deaths. More than half of the positive tests in the laboratories have been in Americans under age 25. That is an unusual young swing, which that may actually, if it, if it has a predilection for younger people, and what this means is if you've been through several flu seasons or several flu shots, you may have a partial immunity to it. And so it's not as bad in older people as young people. And that happens every once in a while if it cross-reacted with a previous vaccine or a previous outbreak. At any rate, more than half of them were people under age 25. uh, And so that uh, makes for a less deadly flu season, even though it makes for a lot of illnesses. Fifteen additional pediatric flu deaths in the uh, final week of January, total of 54 pediatric flu deaths uh, across the country. And again, the geographic spread for the same week, 48 states report widespread flu activity. So once again, there is a virus uh, that is very dangerous, kills a lot of Americans every year, and this year, no exception. Uh, And it is not the novel coronavirus originating in Wuhan, China. Uh, as a matter of fact, the early reports, and I could be famously wrong on this, the early reports indicate that it does not have the case fatality rate of the SARS, uh, the sudden adult respiratory virus uh, that was or was prevalent uh, a few years ago, or the MERS, the Middle East respiratory uh, uh, virus uh, that occurred after that. So hopefully uh, that, that coronavirus will cause some alarm, but uh, not to cause a worldwide outbreak. The World Health Organization, at the time we go to press, uh, still holding off on declaring it an emergency uh, that uh, uh, needs a multinational effort uh, because of the uncertain 
level of attack rate in humans and also the deadliness of the virus still to be worked out. Back to Our Lady of Belfont. I'm going to start. Uh, I, I want to. I want you to understand a little bit about this hospital, and, and Shelley can certainly give us some uh, uh, personal t- uh, testimony in that uh, degree. But I, I want to make sure people understood about this hospital because there are people who listen to our show who are not from this area may not be familiar with it. It's a 214 bed facility, um, and it is located roughly in Ashland. What, tell me, Russell and Ashland. I mean, uh, uh, how do you differentiate them as a native? Yeah, so Russell is a smaller town to the west of the bigger city of Ashland, and it's in the adjacent county of Greenup County, whereas Ashland is in Boyd County. The um, Franciscan Sisters of the Poor, a congregation of Catholic sisters, received requests from uh, residents of different parts of Kentucky back in the 50s. Uh, and, and this was, again, how St. Clair was founded. We found uh, a group of uh, nuns who were willing to sponsor us. In 53, a group of citizens uh, approached uh, the Bishop of Covington, asked for his help in creating a new hospital, Our Lady of Belfont, and construction started in 1952 on the site, and it opened its doors, I believe, in uh, either 53 or 54. And again, we've got uh, a full half century there. Uh, I'll tell you more about the development because I think that factors into all the things that uh, we're talking about when you lose a hospital system like that. But first, we have to take a break. You have to take a break. So please do that and come back and we'll talk more about Our Lady of Belfont Hospital in our second fractional portion on Moorhead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hi, welcome back to the second fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Shelley Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the RIPOLB Show. Our salute to Our Lady of Belfont Hospital, which after 60 years in northeastern Kentucky, will be closing by the end of summer, we believe. Our sponsor for the second time, the top five signs that your heart is attacking you. Again, this was a survey, 25,000 Americans. Which of the following symptoms would be a symptom of someone having a heart attack? The number one symptom, chest pain or discomfort, coming in at 92% recognized. Yeah, and that's the most common one. That's the one that typically brings you into the emergency department. Pretty much anything you complain of in your chest, if you are middle-aged, and particularly if it comes on with exercise, comes on with exertion, and then it kind of quietly goes away, those are the things we worry about. Stabbing pains, sudden just a twinge that's a, a half second or, or so, not so much. But the that pressure that wells up, and then when you rest, it sort of gradually dissipates. That's the one we worry about. Shortness of breath, that is 87% of people. Yeah, and that's an, another one. If you're, you're exerting yourself or you're experiencing a shortness of breath out of the ordinary for you, uh, that's certainly uh, concerning uh, for your heart. And I've had some uh, my patients who exercise, and they say, I can't go as fast as I did last month, or I, to, I get out of breath and I have to stop before I used to have to stop. I have to take a break quicker. Pain or discomfort in the arms or shoulders, 86%. Yeah, and again, you know, the brain isn't super great at figuring out exactly where the heart is. And so any pain in that region, uh, you belly button to, to chin, you know, you need to, to be worried about your heart. Weak, lightheaded, or faint, uh, our least favorite symptom of the five. 
Yeah, but again, those vague, unusual symptoms that you're not used to having, that's new, that's different, has you a little concerned, and especially if it's occurring with some of these other symptoms that we've talked about. Finally, jaw and neck and back pain, and similar to what she said, a difficulty with your uh, your brain being able to interpret where the symptoms are coming from. And remember, if this happens, you need to get to an emergency room fast. And I've had some of my patients that said, look, if you're not certain, just go to the ER waiting room, hang out there for a minute. You don't have to register, but I want you to be close by. The problem is, as we all learn in our CPR classes, about 2% of the time, the heart attack shows up. The next thing that happens after these symptoms is your heart stops. That is an awkward place to be because people are going to start pounding on your chest and doing things that you didn't want them to do. By all means, don't let that happen. Get yourself to a healthcare facility if you have these symptoms. Back to Our Lady of Belfont. And just very briefly, as we talked about last time, was founded uh, in the early 1950s, and they went to a group of sisters and the Bishop of Covington and asked for their help in creating this hospital. The hospital grew in 1994. It began an outreach program. Uh, It had walk-in primary medical facilities in outlying communities, South Shore, Cannonsburg, Grayson, and Flatwoods. These are these uh, satellite clinics with primary care uh, people that uh, could refer you into the specialist. So that's where it starts to get complicated. This is not simply a hospital. This is a group of connected uh, clinicians and uh, support services that you could access uh, from any of these uh, places. And these are rural areas that's, that service much larger areas than, right. than the towns you mentioned there. Ashland is not particularly a small town, but Our Lady of Belfont was serving some very rural areas in northeastern Kentucky. Currently, they operate primary care facilities in Ashland, Greenup, and Ironton, Ohio. Ground broken for a same-day surgery center in 95, completed in 98. In 99, the Franciscan Sisters of the Poor Health system allow, uh, announced its plans to disband. You think about that because at that time uh, in the 1950s, in the 1940s, we had war memorial hospitals. In the 1950s, we had groups of people who were dedicated to helping the poor, helping people who were sick, who started these hospitals. Unfortunately, we do not have such an organization. Where do you go now? You you go to corporate. You have to go to a hospital corporation if you want a hospital in your facility. And that is really purely financial. It is not about, is there a need? In 2000, Our Lady of Belfont was purchased by the Bon Secours Health System of Baltimore, Maryland. They introduced the first sleep lab in the area in 2002. They began a resident training program in 2002 in conjunction with the University of Pikeville. They launched a mobile medical facility. Uh, in 2002, also to uh, go to rural areas and underserved areas where they didn't have fixed facilities. They purchased the former Ashland Oil Headquarters building in 2008. Now, there are some people who have speculated that that building may be worth something, and that might be one of the reasons why they were closed rather than uh, they were offered up for sale to other groups. They had a $1.1 million women's center and uh, with uh, bone uh, scanning and uh, uh, mammography in 2008, same day surgery center renovated, $5 million expansion to increase capacity. They opened a new orthopedic unit also in 2008. 2015, Kentucky Chamber of Commerce listed them as one of the 100 best companies to work with, uh, best places to work in Kentucky. The next three years, 2015 through 2018, they were one of the best places to work in Kentucky. In 2018, the Bon Secure System and Mercy Health uh, in Ohio, they merged one of the largest healthcare systems in the country. 
In November 2018, they disclosed they plan to eliminate an unspecified number of jobs. And this, if you're trying to figure out, I mean, this caught a lot of people flat-footed, but when they merge and corporate says we got to uh, reduce employment, that might be your first sign that all is not well there. April 30th, Kevin Halter, president of the hospital, retired. He was the last president, uh, CEO of that hospital. Jason Asick, uh, who was a chief operating officer of Mercy Health West Hospital in Cincinnati, became the interim president. And here's another clue that maybe things are not good. He is still the interim president of the hospital. So if you have an interim for in a hospital such as this uh, for a year and corporate doesn't conduct a search and replace him, this is a sign that maybe, again, things may not be all the way they should be. In the case of St. Clair, we recently changed our CEO and the old CEO announced they did a search and he actually helped to bring on and onboard uh, the new CEO. And that's the way most healthcare systems would do it. So there was a second sign that maybe things were about to get ugly. Bon Secours says it has made robust efforts to sustain hospital operations, but it says It is not enough to effectively operate in an environment that has multiple acute care facilities competing for the same patients, providers, and services. They uh, announced that they're closing. And I got to say, that is garbage. That is garbage. That hospital has been there half a century. It was well-known, well-established, had a lot of uh, patients, had a lot of families that they serviced, a lot of counties that don't have other health care choices that they service. Last year, I have numbers, nearly 7,000 discharges. Hospital, The hospital, the clinics were running pretty much at capacity. Uh, and so I, you know, it may not have, the thing is, it may not have been the people they wanted. This is, uh, uh, there may have been an older population, more Medicare, uh, more people on uh, government uh, insurance uh, uh, than they wanted. But there, they did, there was no shortage of sick people. Uh, that, that, that does not play well with us. We do not believe that for that hospital. This is there's been a lot made of this in Ashland. The uh, Bon Secours Mercy Health expected to top ten billion dollars in revenue, up from eight point five last year. They are expanding. They have bought hospitals elsewhere. I've got a list here: uh, five hospitals in Ireland and three new facilities in Virginia. But meanwhile, Our Lady Belfont closes a thousand employees. Couldn't get the payroll on that, but uh, substantial contribution to the Ashland uh, Russell area plus the rural outreach that the hospital had done, plus their collaborative efforts with St. Clair and other facilities in the region. Revenue, total revenue of Arleigh Belfont, $748 million, and their income and loss uh, for, again, for this is, I think, 2017-2018, about $1,800,000 loss on the year out of $748 million. A business person can uh, look at this differently, obviously, than we do. We just look at those numbers and say, gee, that doesn't seem like very much. That seems like you, you at least could try. Uh, tweaking it. You could do something minor, you could do something major, but you could do something. So January 21st, 2020, Bon Secures announced that Our Lady of Belfont Hospital will be closing September 2020, resulting in the closure of the system-owned care site. So they're, they're closing not only the main clinic, but all of those primary clinics that are in those small towns. And, um, and one thing you haven't mentioned there specifically, they, they did offer quite a lot of mental health services and addiction services as well. So all of that's affected for that region. Yeah. Our first thought is, well, no, they're not closing in September. Pretty much when you make an announcement like this, they will be struggling to staff, I predict, by July. It is time to head out of town if you want to work in healthcare. 
So you've got you've got the King's Daughters system in Ashland. These hospitals were not friendly. Can I just say that in a diplomatic way? There was strife between the two hospital groups. Some people, certainly for uh, to avoid commute, will be able to jump that. But there are others who just, that may be very difficult to do. The uh, St. Mary's system in West Virginia certainly is going to uh, uh, be looking at their employees, and so is the Southern Ohio Medical Center. I think we at St. Clair have also offered, uh, you know, trying to help uh, keep people in the region anyway. There is a Save Our Lady of Belfont group on Facebook, and so they're looking at options. But I, I just I think when you're working with corporate like this, I, I don't think you have options. And my feeling is that also you're not going to keep it open until September. Well, and after making that announcement, the people are going to leave. Yeah. So you're going to you're going to be in a shortfall of uh, the expertise. Now, this is in a setting. We've talked about this actually uh, separately, but uh, just a, a little bit. This About the time this hit, I got, uh, this was January 2nd was when it was published, but I, I saw it in my inbox and, and I just kind of set it aside. Uh, Southwest Tennessee, one rural hospital after three others closed. Now, these are hospitals that may be a, a 20-bed hospital, a 25-bed hospital. Again, not a 150, 200-bed hospital like uh, uh, Belfont is, but we would be a Boulevard General, uh, only hospital in a 90-mile area, 90,000 people live there, and this is not a big hospital. General Hospital Chief Administrative Officer uh, told the Jackson, Tennessee Sun, uh, if any reason we weren't here, we would be in a healthcare desert. And that's what we are creating then. We're creating these places where simply there isn't access to health care. And it's not only rural. St. Alexius Hospital in St. Louis uh, delayed payroll. It's a 190-bed facility. It's filed for bankruptcy. And so you see kind of uh, uh, both rural and urban hospitals closing. And these, these hospitals, once they close, you really can't get them back. There have been 113 rural hospital closures over the past 10 years. 30 states have seen that, most of those in the South, 20 hospitals in Texas since 2010, and 12 hospitals in Tennessee. That's your two top states. In the state of Kentucky, uh, New Horizons Medical Center in Owington, Nicholas County Hospital in Carlisle, Parkway Regional in Fulton, Westlake Regional in Columbia, and now Our Lady of Belfont have closed in the past 10 years. And I, I would argue that even though Our Lady of Belfont had specialists, was a somewhat of a referral hospital, it was a rural health system uh, because of all of its outreach. So it is not isolated. It is a systemic problem that we've got that we're not keeping, we're not able to keep these hospitals open. They are selectively closing in uh, rural and underserved areas. And in many cases, corporate just simply closes it and then opens a new one in an, a more wealthy urban area. And, and you can't blame corporate. I mean, they're there to make money, and you can't make money in rural and underserved areas. It's a real value clash, isn't it, you know, yes. when, you, when you look at that? Because we're a capitalistic society, so you know, on one, on one hand, it makes sense for them to, to go after the 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 lucrative profits and and the the better insurance and and whatnot but on the other hand these are people's lives i mean people die people are there are going to be poor outcomes increased mortality because these hospitals have closed who's accountable for that i mean who's who's advocating for those individuals as opposed to just corporate and, and then you look at things that have happened Politically and, and, and financially, the Affordable Care Act you know, that was supposed to help bring resources into some of these smaller hospitals by, by reimbursing them or covering individuals that didn't have coverage before. Then you have the pharmaceutical companies doing their thing to try to access that, that extra money, and it's just been a disaster. 
Now, let me just say, I hope someone at corporate, uh, the Mercy uh, Bond Secure System, lost a little bit of sleep thinking about how they might be able to save this hospital. Because you are right. Let's not mince words. People will die because this hospital closed. This is from the National Bureau of Economic Research, a working paper, September 3rd, 2019. Uh, rural hospital closures increased mortality around 5.9% overall. And then when you look, if you divide it by diseases, sepsis, a, a widespread infection, rural hospital closures increased mortality for those patients by 9%. Urban hospitals boosted mortality for heart attack patients by 4.1%. Urban hospitals also, uh, um, uh, the closures increased uh, mortality for asthma patients by 6.3%. So the fact that you have to go further, I mean, we have documented on this show, if you live above the third floor in a high-rise, your chances of making it through uh, a, a heart stoppage that requires CPR or less, any barrier you put between a patient getting to a healthcare system, uh, aside from the sheer numbers, uh, the fact that there's a clinic, there's no longer a clinic where there used to be a clinic, the fact that they are closer, the fact that they are minutes closer makes a difference. So the patients, you and I have seen them in the free clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, a young person, drive to Cincinnati, drive to Charleston, or drive to uh, Huntington, West Virginia, no big deal. An elderly person, a person with cancer, a poor person without transportation, a hospital like Belfont closes, and, I mean, 20 miles is not happening. Yeah, uh, you know, if they can't they can't lug their oxygen tanks necessarily, or you know, you look at the the patients who get sepsis, the patients who are having those asthma or COPD exacerbations that are bringing them in. These are vulnerable populations of people. So you've got on the one side, you've got this locus of the community. This is the thing that brings in industry. This is the thing that does charities. This is the thing that uh, does health fairs. Uh, this is where people work. Uh, they're a, 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 a contributor to uh, local government by payroll taxes. On the other hand, other side of it, you've got uh, your poor people, uh, the people that are elderly, the people that can't drive, who have really no other options. They will be hurt by this. Uh, and make no mistake about it, you will not be able to find this in any analysis, but people will die. We just, we, we don't know who, but you can't close a healthcare system and simply walk away from it. So hopefully, hopefully administrators in a healthcare organization like Bon Secures Mercy, uh, hopefully they know this. If they do, I don't see it here, but uh, I, I hope that they know it. I, wait, I got a, I got a minute 45. Let me just point out another thing about this, which is concerns to me. You know, we talk about this like it's a business. This hospital is a business. I will point out that this hospital Unlike, say, a fast food restaurant where you just decide, all right, I'm going to move it uh, closer to the interstate or something like this. This hospital was shored up by the people of Ashland and Russell. They conducted fund drives. They have an auxiliary service. They volunteered their time. Uh, they, they sent their money in. They helped build these buildings. Uh, so uh, what you are closing is not necessarily entirely yours. Uh, just a reminder, December uh, 1st of uh, 1999, Anthem went private. A, a company, it was in Indianapolis, bought Anthem Insurance. And Anthem at one time was a charity. It had charitable assets. There is a Kentucky law. If a charitable organization, uh, it cannot be terminated or dissolved without transferring its assets to another charity operating with or as close as possible to the same charitable purpose. 
Now you can argue that the you know that if they close it down, well they they didn't transfer the assets, but if they sell off the buildings that were built with donations, then in fact it was a charitable organization, and they may run afoul of that law. I'm not a lawyer. But I will tell you, it bothers me that the the goodwill, the sweat equity, the the community involvement in that hospital gets shut down when the building gets shut down. It is not a business. It is a part of the community. We'll talk more about it in our final fractional portion. You're listening to Health Matters on Morehead State Public Radio. Support for MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. The Northeast AHEC connects students to careers, professionals to communities, and communities to better health. The Northeast AHEC strives to improve the supply and distribution of healthcare professionals through community and academic educational partnerships. More information is available online at neahec.org. Hello and welcome back to the third and final fractional portion of Health Matters. I'm Shelly Irving. I'm Dr. Tony Weaver. This is the R.I.P.O.L.B. show. And, and I apologize. You know, we uh, a lot of times we uh, have in just entertainment here, interesting things that will shock and amaze you from the world of medical research and clinical research. This uh, is we, not a fun show. Not a fun show. We're in mourning. We have lost a what we consider to be a very valuable partner in our region. And uh, we think we should talk about it because that's what we do. So this is the RIP OLB show. Rest in peace, Our Lady of Belfont. Our Lady of Belfont Hospital slated to be closed in September. As we have said, events are already in motion. I do not think that they can be undone. That's my personal opinion. I've never seen that before. I know there is a group that in Ashland is working on this. Someone represents that group. Uh, hit us on the Facebook page. We'll be glad to hear your side and, and publicize it. We, we don't mind doing that as much as we can. But uh, it looks grim from uh, where we sit uh, for the future of Our Lady of Belfont and for that region because it is hard to build industry when uh, your health systems are being contracted. Our sponsor for the final time, the top five signs that your heart is attacking you. We will move very quickly through this. Chest pain, discomfort, a heavy sensation in the chest. Shortness of breath, an undue shortness of breath, one that you didn't have last week or last month. You can't do as much or you find yourself getting breathless for no obvious reason. And many of the time, these pains and these uh, breathing difficulties are brought upon by exertion and get better with rest. All of those things would make you think it is your heart. If you do think it is your heart, you really should get to medical attention as long as you're having those symptoms because they can escalate very rapidly and do you harm. Third one, pain or discomfort in the arm or shoulder. The fourth one, feeling weak, lightheaded, or faint. And again, if that happens to you while you're exerting yourself or while you are in a moment of stress, uh, that is the time that I would think about it rather than if you just wake up and you feel kind of dizzy or it's in the middle of the night. Jaw, neck, or back pain because your brain really has trouble figuring out where your heart is. That's the nature of this, which is why we run so many tests. It's why we put so many people in the ER, why we put the monitors on them and so forth. And remember, 2% of the time, the next symptom you feel is your heart stopping. Uh, Don't let that happen to you or anyone you love. If you have these symptoms, seek medical attention right away. Final time, as of September 20, according to Bon Secures Mercy Health uh, Corporate, They are closing Our Lady of Belfont. The exodus has already begun. Uh, People are already uh, offering the toys other uh, career options. I'm sure the patients are starting to look at their options as well. There will be a group of patients who have very few options. Um, And it makes me, uh, just to step back a minute, you know, we are right now in the middle of a clash of ideas between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party about our health care system. Keep in mind, this hospital is closing 
I'll, I'll just tell you, as far as the community goes, there are two ways in rural Kentucky that you can bring highly educated young people back into town, and that is healthcare and education. Education, as we know, has had a very difficult time. Uh, we changed governors primarily, I think, based on their approach to education in the state. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see if this new governor can uh, uh, back up some of his promises uh, and uh, put additional funding in and perhaps reverse the drain of young people away from our rural uh, communities uh, by funding education. Healthcare, it's odd, but it's just the opposite. It's a $4 trillion system. You could not put more money into that thing. It, it sops up every dollar you put in. But we are not using it well. And so uh, hospitals close. And again, it is a corporate business decision to deprive these people of their access to health care. And, and i got to tell you, I have no love of a national health care system. I look at what happened when the uh, Affordable Care Act expanded our, our uh, prescription drug coverage. And all of a sudden, the pharmaceutical industry went into high gear, raising rates at outrageous pace, uh, buying up old cheap drugs, and then suddenly remarketed them with 1,000% markups. And, and you realize a business person's dream is to get into our collective government trough and drain it. And so you look at that and you think, well, why would we want to give more access uh, to these business people to this huge pot of funds uh, by creating a national health care system? I know there are a lot of efficiencies. Other countries have done it, but other countries have more safeguards and less what you would call capitalism, less ability to make huge amounts of money off uh, of the taxpayers the way our country does. So I fear a national health system. On the flip side, if we leave it as a corporate decision to close down life-saving facilities like Our Lady of Belfont, then we will create something that may be far worse. I don't like either choice, but I don't like this at all. Yeah, I don't like either choice either. And just, just to go back to, uh, for a minute to the education that you were talking about with healthcare, we know data supports training rural healthcare professionals in rural areas. If we can't do that, they don't stay there. They're going to leave. So even if we can figure out a way to educate these people, and the governor here does back up his promise and puts more money and puts more funding and puts more resources, they're still going to leave because they're going to have to train someplace else. Yeah. Our Lady of Belfont had arrangements with you at St. Clair. Once again, had a collaboration with them. They took medical students from various organizations, a lot of them coming from the University of Pikeville, and they had their family medicine residency and, and trade family medicine residence. So once again, there's an educational thing. And it's that value clash again, you know. It changes, I think, when I see this coming out of corporate. Again, the system that just decides to close down a hospital. They, If they can make a cogent argument for why they did that, that's fine. They have not. I have not seen that anywhere, and I scoured the Cincinnati and uh, Ashland newspapers looking for something that told me why this happened, and they did not. They simply said, well, we can't compete, and I said, that is garbage. You, you do your job. Your job was to keep this hospital open, and you didn't do it. And they don't have to provide a cogent reason. No, they, they don't, really. They, they just said, no, we've just decided to move on, and, and, and they do. And that, that, the fact that that is allowed, the fact that all of the history of Our Lady Belfont can be wiped out in a corporate decision with no explanation uh, itself tells me this is not the healthcare system I want and not the, the kind of system I want to practice in. Final thought. 
Uh, and again, I appreciate your indulgence, so let me just rant on this thing. Uh, this was from Academic Medicine January 25th, and they were talking about the Hahnemann Hospital closure. You may remember we commented on that when that, that hospital, that teaching hospital closed, and it orphaned uh, a huge number of residents and medical students with nowhere to go to finish their education. Uh, This is what they say. The uh, foundational tenet in the practice of medicine, the Hippocratic Oath, promises physicians will do no harm when caring for and treating patients. That is, you know, I've I've got to always have as my goal to make my patient better. I, I can't simply try things out that might be harmful. We in the community need to debrief the lessons learned on this cataclysmic closure. They were talking about Hahnemann, but I would say the same thing with Our Lady of Belfont. We need to consider whether financially struggling institutions should be required to prepare a disaster plan for financial disaster, just like they prepare for disaster events. And that struck me as an interesting idea. First of all, of course, we had no idea it was struggling. There were a couple of very, very subtle hints that maybe there were problems, but nobody that worked there, as best I can tell from reading the newspaper, had any inkling that there was a problem. But would, I mean, you think about it, this hospital was prepared. If there was a flood, if there was a tornado, uh, if there was a power outage, an earthquake, they ran drills to make sure they could handle that. And yet, there is no drill for this. As a matter of fact, their, uh, their, their press statement specifically said that the individual doctor's offices would work with their patients. There was no corporate strategy to take care of the patients to do no harm. And we've already said, I, I strongly believe that harm will be done. Uh, so I thought that is a, a really interesting take on this. One, we need to learn how we react to a hospital closing. And unfortunately, you know, this happens sporadically across the country, so there is no expertise in our area for handling hospital closures. But by the same token, it is time for us, if we do not stop this, at least we know we have certain responsibilities for a corporation that decides to close a hospital. And the physicians are caught in the middle, right? You yeah. take the oath, do no harm. You work for a corporation that without consulting you, without making what seems to be a good faith effort, to keep it open has closed it and the response to the people that they that they are in existence for is go talk to your provider who we've fired (laughs) right i mean is that is that not what is happening (sighs) it's ridiculous I'm, I'm just we're going yeah, it's, it's it's to take a little musical interlude here. Shamari's going to stick something in to let uh, Shelly and me cool down a little bit. Uh, because I, I, there was a couple of other things I, I wanted to mention, just some things that I, I thought our radio fans want to know. But I, I, I honestly, I think we've said enough. I think we've already gotten ourselves in plenty of trouble here. Please uh, hit us up on our Facebook page. Whether you agree with us or not, we, we have thick skin. We can uh, we can handle it. Please, uh, But please still uh, contribute generously to Morris State Public Radio despite us. <laughs> Maybe that can replace us with something better. Just ask them to get a better show. A couple of things I wanted to do before we end this show. uh, There there have been some things I've I've kind of kept in my back pocket for a while, uh, so I wanted to be sure we did that. Uh, March 25th, actually, last year. That's how long I've had this uh, around, but uh, you can see where I'm going with this. Kentucky has the second highest dementia-linked death rate in the country. Now, part of that is recognizing dementia-linked death. That has to go on the death certificate. That's how this works. And if you don't recognize it, uh, a lot of people with Alzheimer's disease die of pneumonia or die of a fall, uh, complications of a fall, according to their death certificate, when it's really the Alzheimer's disease. But here are the 10 states with the highest uh, dementia-length death rates. Tennessee, number one. Kentucky, number two. South Carolina, number three. Maine, number four. Alabama, number five. Oregon, number six. 
South, North Carolina, number seven, Georgia, number eight, Massachusetts, number nine, and Minnesota, number 10. Now, what's interesting is you've got your, your first, uh, or most of your first eight are some of the worst health habits and health care systems in the country. Uh, Massachusetts and Minnesota, on the other hand, some of the best. So I think there is some recognition there. Don't want to make too much out of it. But point is, I think any argument you could make is uh, uh, Kentucky has a high dementia death rate. And we need to get better at caring for people with Alzheimer's disease. This, uh, that information, by the way, came from uh, 24-7 Wall Street. It runs a financial news and opinion uh, uh, group, and they, they picked up that. Now, I'll skip forward. This uh, came from uh, the Lancet a review on Alzheimer's disease that was published last year. And they talk about the population attributable fraction. That is, you know, when you think about who gets Alzheimer's disease, where do most of these people come from? What, what, what is most of the reasons? If you eat uh, squirrels and get uh, prions, uh, you will have dementia. But that is, that is a, there's a very, very, if you eat squirrel brains, you can get these prions and you, you can get dementia. But that's not a very common cause. No. And so let's talk about common causes of dementia. Number one, uh, in terms of the percentages, uh, one of the top two, uh, less education, a primary school, you know, less than a high school education. Uh, it turns out education may protect against dementia. There's a whole bunch of ways it could by increasing socialization skills, by increasing your, uh, your executive function. You have to, again, uh, to finish college, the uh, reasoning skills are a little bit higher. Or it might just, uh, with the extra education, it doesn't show up as early possibility. Their population uh, attributable fraction is 19.1%. Higher than that, according to the Lancet, and this is where we're going to get in an argument, I think, uh, hearing loss, 23% population attributable fraction. Now, there was... I'll go ahead and we'll do the rest. Yes, yes. I, next, but okay. let me, I'll, we'll put go it ahead. in perspective. 20, uh, again, we had the population triple fraction of 23%, less education, 19.1%, smoking, 13.9%, uh, obesity, 2%, hypertension, high blood pressure, 5%, uh, depression, 10%, and physical inactivity, 6.5%. So it looks like the number one thing we attack to prevent uh, Alzheimer's disease and dementia is hearing loss. And as a matter of fact, Jane Brody wrote an editorial in the New York Times December 30th, referred to this review in The Lancet and said, well, you know, this is uh, more important than smoking in terms of protecting your brain. Now, the, N the National Institute on Aging is currently sponsoring a trial of 1,000 people uh, to see if hearing aids can prevent dementia. I want to stress to our radio fans, there is no evidence, no evidence, no evidence right now that hearing aids can prevent dementia. But it is an interesting idea. If you can't follow a conversation, if you retreat from the public arena because of your hearing, does that alter your risk of dementia? Right. If you're not socializing, you aren't stimulating certain areas of your brain, yeah, what does that do in the, in the long term? Yeah. I just I know that hearing aids are so expensive and they are so annoying and difficult to work with. I am not yet recommending that my patients try to protect their brains by getting a hearing aid. But it, it is an interesting idea. Uh, I thought uh, uh, one that we... Uh, what, do you, what do you tell patients about hearing aids? About hearing aids? You know, oftentimes the decision is made for us because it's a financial decision and they just don't have the resources or the coverage uh, to get it. And But I know personally as a provider, I do get frustrated that as we get older... The things that seem to be most connected with good health, um, mental health as well as physical health, is being able to socialize, being able to eat, 
keep uh, our nutrition levels up where it needs to be. Those things just don't seem to get good coverage. You know, vision so that we're not falling. We just, we don't value that in our system. And so I'm a little frustrated that that is a challenge and often the decision's already made. And one other thing, you know how I feel about the Alzheimer drugs, the Aricept, uh, the name in the, uh, that people use for Alzheimer's. This was the British Medical Journal, December 2019. France has removed state funding for these dementia drugs because they don't feel they're effective. First country in Europe, although I believe it is Belgium, is looking uh, at the, yeah, Belgium is also looking at possibility of defunding these drugs. In May 2018, the uh, French Minister of Health announced he was delisting these treatments for dementia. Payments would uh, no longer be reimbursed by the state. The days are over when support for patients and their struggling caregivers was based on drugs raising false hopes. That is... A mouthful of words. Now, they did point out in the British Medical Journal, the National Institute for Healthcare Excellence, that's their NICE program, uh, and the National Health Service of the United Kingdom, they they have updated guidance that, that uh, promotes these drugs. There is a division about whether or not they should be used. I will tell you, uh, the last research, when you look at any of the references, the last research done on these drugs that uh, was meaningful is uh, back around 2008. Ten years Absolutely no research indicating that uh, that they are uh, uh, of any use. They are resting on their laws because I think they know they probably could not. Well, let's take the money that we spend on those medicines and get hearing aids for people who can't hear. <laughs> that might work out better. Thanks to our Morehead State Public Radio producer, Shamari Mosley, and to Eric Bilbrey, who wrote our Health Matters theme song, and to you, our loyal radio fans. Remember to show your support for Health Matters by visiting our digital empire. Listen to the show. Go to WMKY.org. Visit us on Facebook. Leave us your comments, HM Radio Show. For our radio crew and the supportive folks at the Northeast AHEC, thanks for listening to our show. And remember, Health Matters is about to close our show for the week. And just like Jason Asik, OL, uh, the Our Lady of Belfont interim president, we take the responsibility that comes with the decision to close our show very seriously. We do not go into it lightly. We commit to working with our associates to share timely and transparent information about radio listening opportunities, especially as it relates to the transition of shows and news. We also will work diligently to ensure opportunities to listen to other radio shows are made available, as well as working with area employers to identify other listening opportunities close to home. We also are establishing partnerships across Moorhead State Public Radio to help those who may want to explore a different listening experience. While we transition from Health Matters to Bluegrass Music is underway, we will continue to serve our listeners with compassion and dignity. We will remain focused on our founding congregation's steadfast commitment to ensuring that compassionate radio is available for each of our patients, communities, and associates, especially in times of need. We are exploring additional ways we can support our community's radio needs going forward. Health Matters on MSPR comes from the Northeast Kentucky Area Health Education Center located at St. Clair Healthcare in Moorhead. 
Additional information on the Northeast AHEC is available online at neahec.org.